This week we are in session nine. I find no fault. Jesus was without guilt and sinless in every way. We'll be in John chapter 18, looking at verses 28 through 40. This is his trial in front of Pilate. Um, John, last week, showed us his arrest. He does not cover the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays and all that. John doesn't cover that at all. We find that in the other Gospels. Just like that, they, John does not cover all the trials that Jesus had through the night. Now, I'm going to lay them out so that we get an understanding of timing and stuff as we do this. But John doesn't cover the other trials, but he does cover the last trial. Um, well, actually, he combines the two trials before Pilate. Uh, and we'll talk about those here and look at those this morning. Um, with that. I will also lay out, um, for some of you this is going to, I've done this before, we've talked about it before, some of you this may be the first time, we will look at the actual timing of the entire Passion Week. Uh, because we as Westerners, um, what our traditional Easter week looks like is wrong. Uh, plain and simply, uh, the model that we use is, is incorrect uh, because the Catholic Church just set it up and we've just continued to do it that way. And it's not, first of all, they, the times are not right and stuff because the Eastern world looks at time and days differently than we did. And in order to be, to understand, we need to look at how the people at the time of Christ did it, not as we as Westerners did. And so we will look at that in a minute. So if you have your little packets that I gave you, you're going to need that because there are two handouts in there um, that I'm going to refer to. Uh, if you didn't bring them to class, I, there, there's, I've only got like one in there. Yeah. All right, so you will need those in a couple of minutes. With that. That was me. Dude. I used I used it for Sunday school. Oh, that's fine. It's just, I'm looking at it. It's like I, I, it's didn't, get it up, I didn't get it up straight. Huh? <laughs> I can tell. All right, let's get into this. As you guys, uh, the third and fourth graders needed to see the map too. Sure, yeah, great. I, please use the. I, I just throw them away at the end. It's a good map. Because we gotta get uh, new ones. All right, we're gonna be here. John chapter 18. Somebody read 28 through 32 for us. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. All right. One of the things I want to point out here, they wouldn't go in the Pilate's house because then they couldn't eat the Passover. But didn't Jesus just eat the Passover? That, that's the Last Supper, right? Yeah. Yeah. Does that bother anybody? Yeah. Go ahead. Worries, well, not worries, but they didn't want to be defiled, but they have no problem with um, committing another sin by worthlessness. <laughs> you just hit the hammer on the head. Are we done with Sunday school for today? No, no. Yeah, that, that, yeah that, that's a big point. I'm going to make that point in a minute, but you're absolutely right. We can accuse an innocent man and put him to death, but no, we can't go in. Yeah, that, that's, that's huge. Yep, you're right. But they're complaining about the Passover meal. One of the things that we, particularly as Westerners, we only are interested in this story in terms of the Last Supper. But Passover also was at the same time as another festival. 
there were two feasts. There was a feast. Passover was a single day. And it was a meal. But then there was a whole week long. Remember, all these people are here for the Passover. There's a week long festival that goes on. And by the time of Christ, the two got merged together. That it was the, the Passover um, that it was the, the Passover festival. But there's really a second um, um, feast. Well, a second feast, but it's a second um, event that is celebrated. So the actual true Passover, where they're celebrating the angel of death passing over the houses from when they were in Egypt and all that, was the meal that Jesus ate. Now there's the rest of the feast um, that's going on. It's another festival. They got merged together, so the whole thing was called Passover, but it isn't. There's only one Passover. And so these guys want to be able to eat the meal because they just continue it on. It's kind of like Christmas. You know, you have the meal Christmas Day, and then there's the next day, and it goes on. You've got that whole week off between Christmas and New Year's, and we just call that Christmas. And we refer to it as Christmas time. Well, that's what they've done here. And so there isn't, there, there isn't an issue with the time and all this. The whole meal that Jesus ate was the true Passover as recorded in Exodus. And then this festival that goes on afterwards. Any questions on that? All right. We're going to come back into this. Let's look at um, some other stuff. Because John jumps from the arrest to going to the governor's house. He barely mentions going that they were at the house of Caiaphas. Um, and all that. They don't even mention the trial before the Sanhedrin or anything. So John has skipped a huge chunk of the evening or the night. And so I want to look at that. We're going to look at it on the map. Um, so you have a map. It's not this exact map, but it's a map very similar to it. Mine's just an outline. Yours is light colored. It has lots of words on it. And it's really hard to see anything because of all the words on it. But you can look at your map. Remember, Gethsemane is out here outside the city. This purple wall does not exist at the time of Christ. That's built after this. And about around year 37 AD, Herod is going to have this wall built, uh, this purple wall, and enclose the uh, more area as part of Jerusalem. Uh, this black line here doesn't exist. That's today, modern day walls. So that one's not there. But the orange wall that's around here, that did exist during Jesus's day. And so here we have the fortress of Antonia. <clears throat> and over here, this green one is where uh, Herod's fortress and palace were. That's important because there are disputes uh, of where Jesus was tried when they said they took him to Pilate. Pilate often held the Praetorium right here in Herod's palace. There was a portion of it that was called the Praetorium. It's where judgment was passed and where Pilate would sit and all that. That would be normal days. So during the normal uh, running of the country, Pilate would come down from Caesarea to Jerusalem and he would hold trial, and he would likely do it here at this praetorium. This is not normal operating um, time period. This is a festival. Jerusalem is swollen with people. There's more than a million and a half Jews that have traveled for Passover to be in the city. Pilate is on hand not because he's here to try somebody or conduct business. He's here to make sure an insurrection doesn't happen. He's not sitting in the praetorium. Normally when that happens, he would be at the fortress of Antonia. Because Herod is in town as well, because he's here for the Passover. So some people want to argue that it was no big deal that Pilate sends Jesus to Herod because it was just next door. And, and that's not true because of the time period and what's going on. When, the, when these feasts happened... And the city is full of all these extra Jews from all the outlying places. Pilate would come, or the governor would come, and take up residence. And the fortress 
because he's there to quash a rebellion because the Jews were well known for their rebellion. And if you know your Jewish history at all, in a few years, they're going to have a massive uprising. The zealots are going to take over Masada and they're going to wage fighting with the Romans from Masada and um, they're all going to get slaughtered and eventually they will just destroy the temple and Jerusalem will burn and the Romans will be done with the whole thing. So here's a, our layout. Now let's uh, remember to turn my notes. What this is not. Um, okay. Huh? No, that's not the problem. The slides aren't there that I made Saturday. Well, that's a good question. Oh, she didn't take a minute. Good, because most of the lesson is not in this. Hey, Carl, get your notes out. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't uh, use it for the Sunday school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had to bring it back. I did. <laughs> I just didn't get back straight.
And then at some point, Caiaphas will have the Sanhedrin or a portion of the Sanhedrin um, there. This is really annoying. I'm it won't do any good. Uh, you won't make it back in time. Um, actually, if I could get one of the packets, do you have yours? The Sanhedrin will try him, and then when they're done, they will send him from here out the sheep gate to the fortress of Antonio where he'll stand before Pilate. And the portion we just read will take place there. Now, the rest of the passage that we're looking at this morning, there's a, he's going to leave, and Pilate's going to send him to Herod. Now, the Romans are sending him. The Romans are not going to march through the temple. All right? The Romans, Pilate's not going to send guys because they're trying to not have riots and all that. Can you imagine the soldiers marching through the temple during a high holy day and all that? No. They're going to go out the fish gate over here. They're going to come around this portion, which this is all outside the city. Past, this is where Golgotha traditionally is located. There is another one that's up here. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But they're going to come back down to the Geneth Gate and go to Herod's Palace there. So, I mean, that's a long, that's a long walk. And they're going to go there. Jesus is going to stand before um, Herod. And they're going to have that whole uh, conversation. Okay, and then Herod is going to send him back, and they're going to go the same way because it's the Roman guards that are escorting him. They're going to go back out this gate, come back in here, and go to the fortress of Antonio, and the second half of this passage we're looking at will take place there. So there's, John condenses it, he takes out this whole time that he does, and all of this is going to be completed very quickly, if you will. If you have your packets, and I hope that you do, find this page. It says the Jewish day. See, I had slides for all these, but I don't know what. There's more packets in there. Oh, there's more packets of, of this? this? Yeah, there's like four or five. Like, mm -hmm. There's a. Uh, I'll get them. Okay, if anybody needs one, she says I have more packets. I thought I only had one left. I had a nice little slide for this. But this is the Jewish day. This is so that we can understand um, how they count time. Because it's important. And as we've talked about, context is everything when it comes to Scripture. We have to look at it not from our perspective, but their perspective. This was written to them. This is how they would have understood it and all that. This is why some of the stuff that we think is wrong. Good Friday is not Good Friday. <coughs> Jesus did not die on Friday. How do you get three days in the grave if he died on Friday? I always wondered that. Yeah. Gonna, I'm going to fix yeah. that for you, and I will show you what the Eastern churches believe. You have to remember the politics. The Roman Catholic Church split from the Eastern Church somewhere around 500 AD, and the two disagree on everything. And so the Eastern Church went with what I'm going to show you, and the Western Church, which is what we are familiar with, the Roman Catholics, said that's all wrong, this is the way it is, and they created a timetable that doesn't make any sense, and everybody is stuck with it and taught it and everything for the last, no, I don't know, 1,500 years, um, and it's wrong. When we look at the Jewish day, the Jewish day does not start at midnight. When does it start, if you're looking at the thing? When does it start? Huh? Six, six in the morning. No. The evening. Six at night. So six uh, o'clock tonight is Monday. That's true. Do you understand how that just changed our, everything we understand? Their day flips at 6 p.m. Not at midnight. Ours flips at midnight. At 12.01, it's, it, it's there. They do it six hours early. At sunset is what we call the first watch. So when we look at that in Scripture and they talk about the first watch of the night, that's at 6 p.m. And you can see they go on 
through the uh, second watch is at 9 o'clock, which is 9 p.m. The third watch, I don't know, that one's messed up, is midnight. The fourth watch starts at, at uh, 3. So when we're looking at times and then they're talking about the watches, that's when they are. The hour, when they talk about it was the third hour, they're talking from sunrise. Now remember, Israel is almost down by the equator, so they've got almost 12 hours of light and 12 hours of darkness. Uh, it's really weird. When I was in Cartagena, Colombia, they're really far down there, and I mean, it was like 6 o'clock at night, bam, it's dark. We were there in the summertime, it's just like it just goes dark. I mean, it's quick. It's sun, 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 dark. Yeah. Um, so if you've ever lived that far south towards the equator, Day and night is, uh, it, it, I mean, it just happens, and it'll sneak up on you real quick. But 6 a.m. is the end of the fourth watch, and it's the beginning of the first hour. So when they talk about Jesus hung on the cross at the, uh, what was it, the um, ninth hour, that's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, not 9 o'clock. So as Westerners, we, we, we screw this up, and we need to know, understand these times. Um, so I've included this. This is how the Jews in Jesus' day marked time. Well, that wasn't even just the Jews. The Romans did and everybody else. Which totally skews our understanding of what's traditionally taught. And it is just a tradition because this is, this is the historical fact. Questions on that? Does anybody need a, a, a booklet? You know you're going to totally mess our old minds all up. Yes, I know. Trust me, I, I've been there and... I'm already messed up. We have it at home. Yeah. We do, okay. All right, so, no questions on the Jewish day. Now let's look at uh, this one, and I really wish I had the slide for it. If you can find this one, it is the... Uh, it says Passion Week at the top. Next page. Yeah, yeah I, I, I put them together because this is all one thing. All right, so there are two, well, there are two views, one's wrong, one's right, of Passion Week. And they begin to digress on at Tuesday. So Saturday, the two views agree, Jesus was likely anointed by Mary. On Sunday, it was the triumphal entry. There, there's no question about that. That happened. That's the first day of the week. It's not a religious day. It's just the first day of the week after the Sabbath. Jesus triumphantly enters Jerusalem. We get to Monday, and that's when he supposedly clears the temple of the money changers and all that. Now, we know from John's account that he does it more than once. There was another Passover early in his ministry. He did it. This is the second time that it's recorded for us. We don't know that he didn't do it every time that he showed up in, in Jerusalem. Uh, at the temple, but we know that he did it at least twice. Um, that is also that Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday morning, he teaches in the temple and begins explaining uh, that the end is coming, or at least his end. And he starts teaching on this um, and all the signs with it. Now, if you will just focus on the Western traditional sign, the left-hand column, that's all Jesus does on Tuesday, according to our Western tradition, what we commonly refer to as Passion Week. Wednesday, apparently, Jesus does nothing. That we, there is nothing that we teach that is. If you've ever, uh, those of you who grew up Roman Catholic, you do the Stations of the Cross at Easter time and all that. There's nothing for Wednesday. Thursday's the big day. Jesus celebrates the Passover. Uh, he washes the, the disciples' feet. He teaches in the upper room. He predicts Peter's denial. He goes and prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's betrayed. He's arrested. And he's hauled off for trial. Friday, he stands trial because we're thinking again, as a Westerner, after midnight, Jesus stands trial before Annas, Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin. Peter's going to deny him. Then he's going to go to trial before Pilate. Uh, Judas will hang himself somewhere in there. Then he goes to Herod and then back to Pilate. And then Barabbas is released. Jesus gets mocked, beaten, and scourged and all that. And then they eventually take and crucify him. And he's buried all before the end of the day. 
So that's Friday. That's traditionally what we think. Saturday, he's in the tomb, nothing happens. And Sunday morning, he rises from the grave. That's the tradition that we, that we typically teach. It doesn't fit, does it? Not when you lay it all out and you start going, wait, you, you start counting it. When you start to understand that they don't start, their day starts differently than ours, that changes a lot of that automatically, which isn't taken into account because the Roman Catholic Church just said this is the way it's going to be. De facto, that's it. You know, that's how we do it. All right, so let's look at the other side now. This is the Eastern Jewish um, counting of the time and the day. So the Coptic Church, uh, churches and stuff like that, they, this is what they know happened. Tuesday night was Passover, which we know the year Jesus was crucified. Therefore, we know what day Passover was because it's a lunar cycle. We can go back and calculate it. It was not Thursday, it was Tuesday. Because they use the lunar cycle and a lunar calendar for um, calculating when Passover was. Our calendar does not. Our calendar is fixed. We don't follow the lunar cycle. Um, our calendar sets so many days per month. And we just adjust them. That's what leap year ends up doing for us because we fix the calendar. The ancient world, because they were mostly farmers, they followed the cycles of the moon. And so the, that's why Passover changes. That's why Easter moves. So we know that Easter was on a Tuesday. So Jesus was not eating the Passover on Thursday. All right. So I'm not, I'm just a, the, you know, I'm not making this stuff up. We, the, we've calculated it. But the Catholic Church has set it's always on Friday. Well, that's, not, that's just not quite possible because of the, the calendar systems. Just bear that in mind. So Thursday night, now we're talking about um, two, or, uh, Tuesday night. This is when the meal is eaten. This is after Monday. So triumphal entry happened in the morning, and Tuesday starts when? 6 p.m. What we would think of as Monday. So our Monday at 6 p.m., it becomes Tuesday night. The night happens before the day. In the Jewish, in, in the ancient world, and particularly with the Jews. According to Genesis. Well, in the evening and the morning. Well, that's true too. He doesn't list it that way. So the Passover meal and the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane um, and him being arrested all takes place in what would be Tuesday, which would be Monday night into Tuesday morning. All right. Wednesday morning, then, our Wednesday morning, he's going to go to Pilate which is the lesson we're currently. Now, you have to understand, the Romans started their day at around 5 o'clock. So Pilate is sitting on the judgment seat in the praetorium starting between 5 and 6. So when we talk about Jesus being brought before Pilate, they brought him first thing in the morning for trial. Remember, they, want, they need to be done by, the end, by 6 p.m. with all of this. Because the next day is a Sabbath, which we'll get to in a minute because this is Wednesday. Any questions so far? <laughs> yes, yes, I, I, I understand. So Wednesday morning he stands before Pilate. He is nailed to the cross by 9 o'clock in the morning. We know what hour because it says what hour. 9 o'clock he gets nailed to the cross. So from about 5 o'clock to 9 o'clock he's under trial between... Um, Pilate and Herod, and then back to Pilate and all that. So in a few hours, what is that, four hours? In four hours' time, he's tried, convicted, and nailed to a cross. From 9 to 3, he agonizes on the cross, that's recorded for us, and at 3 o'clock he dies. Somewhere in that hour, he dies. Now they've got three hours to get his body down, clean him up, put him in the tomb, and seal it, and get home before the start of the Sabbath because Wednesday, Wednesday night at 6 p.m. begins the Sabbath. It's a high Sabbath. And this is something that we as Westerners particularly don't recognize. Whenever there was a holiday, there would be a special Sabbath following it, a day of rest. Remember, they, they, don't, they didn't go to church on the Sabbath. It was a day of rest. 
So you would have this massive feast of the Passover and all that. And then there would be a, a Sabbath that was meant to sit and reflect on God and all that. And so there's always one that follows one of the high holy days. There'll be a Sabbath that follows it. See, we don't count that. So when Scripture talks about they had to do it before the Sabbath, we're assuming that it's the Saturday Sabbath, and so we start counting back. But the Jews insert high Sabbaths that are because of the holidays, and that happens Wednesday night. So Wednesday night, nobody does anything. They're sitting around contemplating God. Thursday morning, they're still contemplating God because it's still the Sabbath until 6 p.m. on Thursday. But that's the first day Jesus is in the tomb. So Thursday morning, Jesus is in the tomb. Thursday night, or yeah, Thursday night, Sabbath ends. It's the second night, but it's nighttime now. Nobody can do anything. Remember, the women have got to get the spices to do the body. So this is the second night Jesus is in the tomb. Friday morning, everybody gets up, and they go about their business. Jesus is in the tomb. That's the... What is that? The third? That's the uh, second. second day. And then that night at 6 p.m., it's going to start. That's Friday. But Saturday starts at 6 p.m. That's the weekly Sabbath. And so nobody can do anything then. So the women have gone out and bought everything they need to embalm the body. But they can't do it because of the start of the new Sabbath. So Friday night, Jesus is in the tomb. That's the third night. He's now been three nights on Saturday morning. Saturday, though, is the weekly Sabbath. Jesus is still in the tomb. That's the third day. So now he's been in the tomb three days, three nights, and at 6 p.m. Saturday, the Sabbath ends. Now it's nighttime. The women aren't going to the tomb. But Jesus is out of the grave. See, we, we know the women go to the grave Sunday morning and find it empty. But the Sabbath ended Saturday night. So somewhere after 6 p.m. Saturday, Jesus got up and walked out of the tomb. Um, we don't, we're not sure exactly when. We know that there was an earthquake. There was all sorts of events and things that are happening. But they happened Saturday night. Sunday morning, the women show up because they bought everything Friday before the Sabbath. And now they've got everything. And they show up early Saturday morning or Sunday morning. Tomb is empty. And Jesus is gone. Three days, three nights, the whole thing. There, now it fits what we, Scripture says, and we're not trying to make excuses this way and that way. All we have to do is look at Jewish tradition to understand how the holidays work. Now are there questions? It was so interesting that you never think of them being up and out before the woman got there. Right. We always just think of it, oh, it just happened right before they got oh, there. Yeah. No, it, it would have been, it probably was like right at 6 o'clock. Go ahead, Annie. Catholic Church is challenged on that, and I would imagine they would be. How do they explain all that? There are, I've read so many explanations on that. that they, they probably just say we're the Catholic Church. Right. Well, <laughs> that's it. I mean, remember, they, most of the guys that do it nowadays, they have no clue. I mean, this was just set. They're like, we're, we're, you know, I'm the Pope. This is the way it is. And everybody accepted it back in the day, and Western world has been teaching it this way. I mean, even in all the evangelical schools. Um, that you know, you go to a, you go to Bible college or seminary. They're going to show you know they're going to lay out the traditional side of this because nobody bothers. This is what scholarship does. You start digging into this and you discover, wait, the whole world doesn't believe this this way. That there is other views to this, especially if you start talking with uh, Jewish Christians. Um, and yeah, this is this is what they know because they know when the dates were because we can calculate based on the position of the moon and all that, they, they know exactly what days they happen. And let's face it, it's just easy to say it's this day and be done with it and not have to worry about the sliding calendar and all that. We as modern modern people as well, we like solid dates. This It shifts, I mean, think about it. How often do you, uh, when is Easter this year? You know, everybody gets annoyed because it's like, oh, it's in March. No, now it's in April. It's almost in May. You know, because there's, we, we put the, what is it, the school, um, spring break spring break is usually attached to it, and it shifts every year, and it's so annoying, so they just solidly said it's going to be, you know, th these are the dates, because it's actually more transient than that. Hmm. Can I ask you something? Yeah. 
And I'm, I'm not sure where in the Bible it is where other tombs, other bodies came out of the grave. I believe it's Luke that Luke? records that. Is that the same time that... Yeah, that was when he was killed. That the 3 o'clock hour, uh, darkness falls over the earth. Um, and it's, it's, it's black like it was in um, Egypt during the plague of darkness. Uh, there, yeah, there is bodies that are raised, the, the dead rise. During that dark period, there's earthquakes. There's like all sorts. I mean, if you wanted signs, there are plenty of them. Curtain uh, rips. Yeah, the curtain rips in the temple. Uh, all that takes place in, like right at the 3 o'clock hour, which is when he... When he died. I mean, so, we don't know the exact minute to that, but somewhere in that in that hour, this all takes place. So could the people not see it because it was dark? The people rising? Couldn't see. Oh, uh, I'm assuming they ran into them. I mean, it's noted that it, <laughs> that it happened. I mean, can you imagine that it's, it's midday. It should be bright and sunny, and now it's dark, and they're dead people. You want to know where all the zombie apocalypse movies <laughs> come from? Read your Bible, because it happened. <laughs> the dead rose and was walking in the dark at night and all that. I mean... Where do you think they get these ideas from? They're not new. They're, they're biblical. They actually happened. The we've just made them into, to, we've divorced God from the whole thing, and now, you know, they, they're just getting out of hell, or, or it's some virus that, that did it. You know, we just make up new things. God did it to make a point. <laughs> it just amazes me that you don't hear that. That's like a big story. You would <laughs> not think. Story, but. You would think, but it, it yeah. smacks too much of Hollywood, so nobody talks about it. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on then, unless there's another question on what I just gave you. Just a weird question, I guess. When we're in Jerusalem, when moving from point A to B to C to D, it's just really a matter of 10, 20 feet or whatever? Or uh, yeah, it's really not that far. Right. Um, you can see the scale here. This line, that much space on this map, is a quarter of a mile. Okay. So, you know... From so here to the gate is about a quarter of a mile. Come out of the gate, so there's a quarter, so maybe. Could be. So it might be. You know, so. I don't even think it's a. I don't think they would have marched him a mile, maybe okay. a mile and a half. But it would to Herod's palace. It's different places. Right, but remember, there's an extra million and a half people yeah, right, right. in here, and this is a pretty flat, plainish area. Um, they're all coming in because you've got a gate here, a gate here. And a gate down here. So anybody that's in this area has got to come up to one of these gates. So there is a lot of people, but he is with soldiers. And so they're going to just shove, push, and, and yeah. beat anybody to get out of the way because they're more important. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, it's not far. That was the thing that surprised me when I was in Israel was nothing's really far. It's like we drove through the city of Cana where Jesus did the wedding. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait, we were just in Bethlehem. I mean, it's like you go around the curve from Bethlehem. Or not Bethlehem, but um, from Nazareth. And it's like, oh, it's right here. You know, it wasn't far. Now, mind you, there is a, a serious, well, I wouldn't call it a mountain, but it would be a serious climb because it's on the other side. Driving, it's really quick. But if I was walking it, it's probably, you know, a quarter of a day. You know, a couple of hours to get there because it'd be quite the hike. Do you think the soldiers stayed with him all the way to the cross? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was, he was frog-marched, I'm sure. The Roman soldiers, because they're responsible. And if he, if something happened to him, like he got away or whatever, they would be their lives. So they would, yeah, they would have been, they would have been with him the whole time. Just like with Paul, we know that that's what it was. You know, Paul was actually chained. Two guards, you know, two guards were chained to him at all times. They would change out, but they were always with him because, you know, they didn't want him to get away. All right, let's move along. We've got more to talk about. Wow. All right. So here we go. The yeah, see, none of this is set up. This is so annoying. Uh, the passion, we're, we're in part four, the passion and sufferings of Christ. This is the transfer. That's what we're talking about. Jesus is going to be transferred from the Jews to the Romans. And I wish I had my notes because there's several things I wanted to point out, but I don't. Um, we start with a set of informal hearings before Annas. Annas is the father-in-law of the high priest. What standing does he have of being able to try Jesus? What gives him the right? 
guy. Wasn't he still considered a, a high, high priest? No! He wasn't the high priest. He was the father-in-law. Yeah. He doesn't have any right. But Jesus is drugged to him, made the stand trial and answer his questions and all that. From there he goes to the high priest, Caiaphas. Now it's unclear whether he goes to Caiaphas's house and stands trial or if he's drugged to the temple, to the room of the Sanhedrin and stands before him. But he's tried by Caiaphas. Caiaphas then brings in the Sanhedrin for an illegal trial because, A, it wasn't the full Sanhedrin. They brought in select members, but just enough to make it look like it was good. And this is where I wish I had my notes because I had all the explanation from the Mishnah of how this was supposed to take place. It was illegal for the Sanhedrin to try a case before sunup. Before the sun rises, the Sanhedrin was not allowed to try cases. You could not try a case at night. The idea was that they were public and not secretive, which everything about this is. <laughs> so that was illegal. Secondly, when you have the trial, you cannot, it is illegal to pronounce judgment on the same day as the trial. This is so that people can have time to think and contemplate over what was presented. But they don't. They do. Remember, all of this is taking place. So he's been tried now three times, pronounced guilty, and is going to be frog-marched off the pilot and executed by 9 o'clock in the morning. And this trial by the Sanhedrin is illegal. It was held at night. It wasn't the complete Sanhedrin. And the, and the pronouncement is made um, at the same time instead of the next day which you can't pronounce it before sunup the next day either. So all of this is illegal, but this is what's going on. This is what Jesus is dealing with as we go through this. So finally, he's drug off to Pilate. Now, we get there, and we have the passage that we just read. And as Trish pointed out, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, being who they are, refuse to go in to see Pilate. They don't go into the court. They stand outside because they do not want to be defiled. But they have no problem following all this illegal practice and subterfuge. That's all okay. I'm still clean and I can eat the Passover. And that's a, I said I would do it later because I wanted you to understand none of this is acceptable under Jewish law either then or earlier under the, the actual Old Testament law, God gave them how the procedure is supposed to work. It was God-ordained, and they totally disregard it and bring him to Pilate now. And Pilate asks what question? What is truth? What? I heard somebody. What is truth? No. The passage we just read. What did he do? What did he do? And what is their answer? That, that they can't put him to death. No, that's not, that, that doesn't answer the question of what did he do. Yeah. He wouldn't have brought him to you. Yeah, he's an evildoer. Yeah. They do not make any charges against yeah. Jesus to Pilate. They bring Jesus and say, oh, he's just an evildoer. You try it. Pilate's looking at him. What? Now, if I had my notes, I could read this to you. There are actually seven charges listed in the New Testament that the Pharisees and Sadducees make against Jesus at different times. But they don't bring one of those charges against him when they bring him to Pilate. They just claim that he's an evildoer. And Pilate's like, well, what am I supposed to do with him? And they're like, well, you just take him and you try him. Why do they not want to try Jesus? It's not lawful. It's not lawful to put him to death. But wait a second. Don't they stone Stephen? Mm -hmm. Don't they stone others of the apostles later on? Well, I have an idea. Okay. None, none of the charges would be considered uh, capital crimes to the Romans. That is true. But we have to understand what is going on here. What is the reason that they are trying to get rid of Jesus? Go ahead, Cindy. Their hatred was more 
They didn't even want to go by no laws. Yes, but why? Because they didn't want their power diminished. They didn't want their power diminished. They need to break Jesus' popularity. They could off him. And the Romans and everybody else accepted a, a stoning. That, but that's just a mob killing somebody that was believed to be... That All that will do is turn Jesus into a... Martyr. Martyr. They don't want that. They don't need... They need to break him because the people, remember, this is Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and what happened Sunday morning? The triumphal entry. Yes, this is three days, or not, not even quite three days. The people were chanting that he was the Messiah, that he was the king, and they're trying to put a crown on him. They want to put him on the throne. The people are wanting to follow Jesus. Remember the triumphal entry. This is just a couple days. It took them this long to plan it. They don't need Jesus stoned. It turns him into a martyr. They need a conviction that he's guilty of something and an execution. And the thing is, is that because he's so popular, remember, there's an extra million and a half Jews in the area. The Pharisees and Sadducees are like, they have to distance themselves. That's why they bring him to Pilate. They need Pilate to do it because if the Roman government says that he's wrong, he's wrong and he's guilty and they'll execute him. And, well, it's not our fault. We didn't have anything to do with it. It was Pilate. And they can point at the Romans and say that it's all Rome's fault, talk to him, and their hands are clean. All right, so you see the whole setup. So this all got to work together. We got to put all this together to the so trial by Pilate. Pilate has no idea uh, why they're bringing this guy. I mean, I'm sure that he's heard the whispers, but he doesn't care. These are just the these are just the people he's supposed to rule. Uh, Pilate was not a well-respected ruler. He was pretty pathetic throughout throughout his career. Um, he was sent here not because he was a great governor or anything, but this was some backwater poo-dunk town that's got a problem and Rome sent him here <coughs> to get him out of the way essentially. He's weak. Morally weak. Politically weak. And he's sent here to deal with this and now he's got this whole show trial thing coming up and he's just not real excited about it. Questions? You didn't know all this was going on, did you? You just think of it as the thing. Yeah. Alright, so here we go. Somebody read uh, 18, chapter 18 through 33 and 38. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus to him and said, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. you got to love this. John just boils it down for us instead of the long, lengthy passages we find in some of the others. All right, so this is the trial now. We see that there's no indication of a threat. Pilate looks at him. Jesus is no threat. Why am I trying him? He doesn't see, yeah, he's popular and all that, but he's not trying to raise people up. He's healing people. He's feeding people. But he's not, there's no political rally to go with it. Secondly, Pilate considers the king of the Jews. As he's contemplating this idea, the Jews had a king, didn't they? Nope. Herod. Herod was their king. So, this is an internal fight. Herod, Pilate and Herod were never friends. Um, not until after this whole thing. 
so this guy's claiming he's going to be, he's the king, but he doesn't claim that his, this is his kingdom. Uh, this is, to Pilate's like, this is a problem for Herod. That's when he sends him to Herod to deal with. Because, uh, what, what do I care about the king of the Jews? The Roman government, the way it worked was they would send a governor to oversee an area. And the local king, chief, whatever he was, was allowed to rule the people as long as there was peace and the taxes were paid. As long as those two things, no, no uprisings, no insurrections, as long as it was peaceful and you paid your taxes, you could rule any way you want. There are certain Roman rules that had to be followed, but that was, that was pretty much it. It was pretty easy. Problem is, is the Jews just would never get along with the Romans, just like they didn't get along with anybody else. Uh, they, they hated being ruled by somebody else. Um, but Pilate is, he's just the king of the Jews. This isn't his kingdom. Nobody's fighting for him, his own people. I mean, they, he knows that he's got disciples and all that. Where are they? They're not beating on the doors with swords or anything. Who cares? So Pilate is unsure of any actual wrongdoing. This seems to be more political than actual problem. So he comes out and tells everybody, I don't find any guilt in him. And this is really, this is where this meets our world, particularly today. Pilate believes truth is mutable. What does that mean? It's changeable, yeah. Usually we talk about God being immutable. He's unchanging. Mutable means it can change. Truth is mutable. There isn't absolute truth. We live in a world today that doesn't believe in absolute truth. What you end up with is somebody like Pilate ruling, which is what we've got. <laughs> weak yeah. morally, weak politically, yeah. and no, no, nothing's absolute. There's nothing really to stand on. And you end up with just power dominating when it gets bad. That's what you end up with. Pilate is that way, and so he's, he's happy to go either way. Look, I can let him go. I don't find anything wrong with him. And Pilate now has the chance to stand up to truth and say, this is what's true. He's not guilty of anything. But Pilate doesn't care. What'll make it e what's going to be easy? And we're going to see real quick that Pilate's just going to go with the mob as opposed to what is true, what is reality. Comment, question. I had several really cool quotes, but I don't remember them. <laughs> Yeah. All right, let's move along. John chapter 18, 38 through 40. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again. Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. He was also a murderer. He was already convicted of robbing, murdering. He was an insurrectionist. George Floyd. Huh? George Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's going on. So here's Jesus, nothing. Can't find anything that he's done wrong other than step on all the toes of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And... Uh, this guy, totally in the wrong. Now, what's missing here, John doesn't record it, but the high priests and the Pharisees and Sadducees and all that, when he comes out and says, I find nothing wrong with him, I'm going to release him, they say, well, then you're no friend to Caesar. All right? You might remember that. It's another place in the other Gospels. John doesn't record it. I note this because that is a title. And it means that you are somebody that is very politically connected, that you're very respected by the Roman government and, and all that. And there, so the whole idea was you're not a friend to Caesar. You're not really a good political, um, not friend, but uh, ally. ally for Caesar and all this. And, uh, you know, if you don't crucify Jesus, if you don't get rid of him, then you're not a friend of Caesar's. 
which this would mean that he, if he got that title, uh, it, it's you know it, it'd be easy street for him. So they're dangling uh, a title in front of him. We'll tell you know that we'll, we'll we'll act properly and we'll tell Caesar that you're really a friend of Caesar and, and get the title and all that. And uh, well, we see what Pilate's going to choose. He's going to go the easy way. He's going to go with what's easy on it. So they begin to dangle political or uh, public acclaim in front of him. So here we go. So this is the trade. You see how he did that? Now Pilate has a choice to make, and he's going to trade Jesus for self-aggrandization. Uh, And so Pilate found him not guilty. That's his verdict. Pilate is a weak politician and offers the people a choice. Look, I found him not guilty. But rather than say this is the way it is and make the people accept a not guilty ver verdict, he says, look, I'll give you a choice. Well, who do you want? i got to execute somebody today. <laughs> Somebody's going to die. You can pick. I don't care one way or the other. He's not guilty. But, you know, whatever you want. So we see that the mob chooses Barabbas, who is a convicted killer, um, with it. Comment? Questions? Oh, wait. I just found this. Yes. They didn't get put where I put them because they're at the end. Um... The seven different charges that, that have been brought against Jesus at different times through the New Testament that they did not bring to Pilate are as follows. First, he threatens to destroy the temple. That would definitely get Pilate's attention if they would have said, you know, he's threatened to destroy the temple because that would kind of lead to insurrection and all sorts of political problems. Etc. And it was a public building, so it was the response of the Romans paid to have it built through Herod. Secondly, um, they claim that he's an evildoer. All right, not much detail there. Third, they claimed that he perverted the nation. Well, that would have gotten Pilate's attention. He's, he's perverting the nation. Um, four, he has forbidden the Jews to pay taxes. That's one that they, they leveled that at him at some point. Did they bring that charge? No. Um, they claim that he was a revolutionary agitator. They didn't bring that charge either, but they, they claim it in other places at other times. Uh, let's see. Number six, he makes himself a king. They bring this guy and deposit him on Pilate's doorstep. They don't even tell him who he is. He claims to be a king. Pilate just happens to know from you know marketplace gossip. I mean, you couldn't miss it. A million and a half people chanting it. Sunday morning, uh, you, you might notice that because he's coming into the temple. Fortress of Antonia sits there overlooking the temple. Couldn't have missed that, but uh, you know they didn't bring that charge. Um, he claims to be the son of God. Now that one wouldn't have made much difference to uh, the um, Romans. the Romans. Thank you. I couldn't think of who they were. Let's see. What else do I have here? Ah, here you go. I found the one on friend of Caesar. Uh, it was a technical term meaning loyal to Caesar, and it refers to people who had distinguished themselves in imperial service. It was the guarantee of a good career. Therefore, Pilate must choose between the new king and Caesar. In two discourses, Jesus described the dangerous temptation to regard secular acclaim over divine approval and we know what he chose uh, for it so that's where Pilate is at with it okay now any questions all right a couple of things that we can take with us from this lesson lots of great information but how is it applicable well first we should expect false accusations to be made against us they did it to Jesus They've done it to the apostles. They did it to the prophets. 
and certainly we can see the martyrs over the years, we should expect people to bring false accusations against us to get their own way, particularly as we look at our government making all sorts of crazy accusations against Christians and calling us things and saying that this is normal and we should expect that. Secondly, we can confidently proclaim Jesus without guilt. He was not guilty. Even Pilate acknowledges it. We don't have to worry about his character or whatever. We can teach he's all about him and we don't have to worry that it's that A, we're wrong, B, that it's something that's not good, which the world is trying to convince us of today that, well, you know, the real Jesus would love everybody and all this nonsense. Yeah. And it's not. We have confidence he was without guilt. It was proclaimed by Pilate, and it is known to us because God himself declared it. Thirdly, people reject Jesus regardless of the facts. That is something that we need to remember constantly. We can tell people, witness to people, and show people Jesus all we want, but they will reject him regardless of what's true. Pilate himself, having interviewed him, stood there knowing what was true, declared the truth, but didn't believe it, wouldn't accept it. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being and accepting this ultimate humiliation, being frog marched through the streets. From the, in front of all the people that you had come to save. The people that had claimed you just days before. Lord, help us to be bold for you as we go this week. In Jesus' name, amen.